right, let's do it. All right, today we are here with Mr. Don Thornton. Uh, Don, before we get into business, first of all, I got to say thanks for being here. Glad you're here. But Glad to be here. Before we get into business, man, uh-huh. I need to know about your personal life. What do you do to have fun to relax? What do you do other than business? Well, you know, I used to play a lot of tennis. That was my big, um, you know, blow off steam thing. I used to play tournaments. Uh, amateur tournaments. Uh, in fact, what I used to do, because you know my wife is Russian, and we have uh, you know apartments over there. I expect I put most of the real estate I bought was is in Russia, uh, which is unfortunate right now. But I would go over there and play for money. They had these great oh, tournaments oh. where you put a thousand dollars down, and then you know the the winner would get fifty percent. The 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 finalist would get I think like twenty five percent, and then. Uh, I think the 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 third place winner winner would get like a, a, a free to, free uh, entry into the next tournament or something like that, and it it was cutthroat. And, I, and listen, I was the only American. I was always playing, you know, at, I was playing away and not at home, you know. And it was fun, and I, I used to love. I just to love playing tennis and playing tournaments and so forth. But they're pretty good, pretty good players. But I what I'm a I'm more of a you know American style attack. They're more like hit 25 shots from the baseline until somebody makes an error. So I was weird for them. But but I, I can't do that much anymore because, uh, you know, as I've gotten a little bit older, I've got some some health issues. So um, hoping to get back into tennis again. But that was really was the biggest thing that I would do with tennis. And then travel. I love to travel. And, of course, both of those were inhibited by COVID. So slowly getting yeah. back into that now. All right. So now okay. to what we're here for. <laughs> Are you ready to talk some real estate investing with me today? I have been doing real estate investing for 20 years. I always love to talk about it. All right. All right. Okay. So uh, let's see. You have, we have some, some good connections between us. That's how we met. Yep. And you have some really valuable, what I think is extremely valuable information that can help a lot of real estate investors build wealth and actually keep their wealth. Yes. Okay. So. With your company, uh, HB Funding, mm-hmm. you have the know-how to help real estate investors uh, avoid or massively reduce uh, capital gains taxes and the usage of 1031 exchange. Oh yeah, through uh, through through something that you found that the ultra wealthy have have been using for a very long time. Yes, uh, tell us what that is, how to use it, and why real estate investors should use it. Well, uh, thank you very much. I, I appreciate this. I love to talk about this. It's my new passion. Back in the day, you know, because I'm I'm known as Don the short sale guy, and it was always about short sales, short sales, short sales. But obviously, with the, with the way the market's been, that's kind of taken a back seat. So I decided to pivot and spend my time educating people on, on what I've learned about how this amazing trust and the strategies that go with it are just. I mean, it, it's anybody can use it and get great value. Uh, as long as you're not a W-2 employee, but man, is it tailor-made for real estate investing? Because uh, there's no part of real estate investing that you can't it can't help you. Um, I would say, and first of all, it's called the trust is called a non-grantor, irrevocable, complex discretionary spendthrift trust. Okay, it's a long name, and yeah. every single one of those pillars means something. But let me just talk to you about what the result is, because we're always taught talk about the benefit of the benefit. Here's the deal, okay? You have two major camps in investor, who people who invest or want to invest, right? You've got the buy and hold people, and you've got the flippers or you've got the wholesalers, 
okay? From a tax point of view, there are uh, two types of taxes that you, you know, depending on which, which side you're on, that you're gonna get hit on. The buy and holders, the ones that buy it for a while, and then they, whenever they sell those, those uh, uh, investment properties, they're gonna be hit with capital gains taxes. And so the go-to maneuver for that has, you know, has been, okay, we'll just do a 1031 exchange. Now, Antonio, I'm pretty sure you know that 1031 exchanges are not the easiest or most popular things to do. It's kind of like, it's kind of like it was when I was uh, uh, in high school, when I wanted to ask every other girl that I wanted to ask that was really pretty, they were already taken. So I kind of had to go with the yeah. one that said yes. Uh, <laughs> you know, it's the same way with 1031 exchanges. Nobody wants to do a 1031 exchange. You got to tie the property up in 45 days. You got to close it in six months. It has to be an exact match or close to it. Otherwise, you're gonna call, you're gonna pay the boot, as they call it. Where you're gonna pay tax on that. I and I talked to an attorney who focused just on doing 1031 exchanges out in California. I, I asked him. I said, "What's your what's your success rate?" And just ballpark. He said, "Oh, it's le definitely less than 50 percent." So you have so many failures when it comes to 1031 exchange that people get stuck with the tax. Even though they kind of say, oh, I can do a 1031 exchange. Well, yeah, maybe and maybe not. So that's that's the, the capital gains side of it. Now, for people who are um, flipping or they're doing uh, wholesaling, that's a different kind of income. That's ordinary income. Okay, so ordinary income, like, for example, with me in my in my short sale business, I don't take title to properties anymore. Before I would I would get the short sale approval, I would cash it out, I'd get other, use other people's money and cash it out, I'd do a quickie rehab, throw it up for sale and try to flip that thing within you know three to four months max. So uh, now I don't have to do that. I can get paid a really nice amount of money without taking title. But, and there's always a but, right? The yeah. issue is that for tax purposes, that's treated as ordinary income. And so if you're making more than $165,000 a year with ordinary income, you're getting hit with 32% on your tax rate. So you're talking about basically having the IRS as a, as a, you know, a partner just doing nothing but right. taking from you, right? Which is kind of what happened with my first marriage. Uh, but uh, only you, you can't, it's hard to divorce the IRS until now. All right. Yeah. So both of those, both of those types of taxes, or what you're going to get with real estate investors, and yes, listen, don't I can I can feel it spiritually, metaphysically. You guys are saying, well, I can write stuff off. Yeah, you can, and we all write stuff off. That's one of the nice things about being investors. But you start making decent of money, you can't write everything off, and eventually you're going to have to pay something. And that's where this strategy comes in: is that you don't have to do that. This is a completely legal way to be able to, um, you know, permanently defer paying anything on, on capital gains and being able to convert any active ordinary income into almost, let's say, 97% of that can be converted into permanently tax deferred passive income. And it all starts with this trust, like I just told you about the non-grantor, irrevocable, complex, discretionary spendthrift trust. This trust has been around forever. Uh, it was, uh, in fact, you know, the the IRS tax code when it was when it was instituted in the 1930s. There's a tax code that goes specifically with this kind of trust, 
and look, it's not because you know the IRS was so generous and wanted to create this for for real estate investors. It's because this type of trust has been a go-to shelter for really, really rich people since before the tax code even existed. And so they made, you know, they, their lobbyists and everything made sure that this was going to be incorporated in the tax code, and it's called IRS Code 643. Now, what that means is that um, if you follow the strategy correctly and you have the right trust, then any capital gains on a trust asset is not considered a taxable event. They're, they're deferred forever. So you think to yourself, okay, well, how, how do you do a tax? Uh, uh, how does a property become a, a uh, trust asset? Well, I'll just walk you through how it works because this is what I did when I got mine. Is you sell your assets to the trust because it's an it's a non it's an irrevocable trust, meaning that you can't just transfer stuff in. You sell it, but the way you do this, it's really ingenious. So if I have an investment property. And let's say it's worth a million five right now, but I acquired it at eight hundred thousand. All right. So then, what I would do is I would that would sell that trust to myself personally. Excuse me, sell that that property to me personally, and then I would sell that that property to the trust. And the the consideration would not be money; it would be a note. Okay, it's kind of like seller finance in a sense. So, but the amount of the note is not the $1.5 million that's worth now. It's whatever I acquired it for minus any depreciation I took. So the, the reason why you do that is because you don't want to trigger a capital gains event when you're selling your property into the trust. So, right. so if I, 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 I sell this into the trust, you know, and so now the, the trust owns it. So I, it's not like I can just pull that back whenever I want. Trust is now the owner of the property, okay, 100%. So as trustee of the trust, you have 100% control over those assets. You control the bank account. You control everything. So that means that, you know, like I think it was Rockefeller said once, that it's always better to owe, own nothing and control everything. That's the principle of this. So yeah. now that this investment property is in the trust as a trust asset, before I decide to sell it, all the lease payments coming in, all the rents coming in, that's passive income for this trust. And according to IRS Code 643, any passive income that comes into the trust, those taxes that would be owed are now, it's not a taxable event. They're being deferred forever. So that's the first big advantage you have of, of having, if you're a buy and hold investor, by having this trust is that you're going to be any rents that come in, any passive income that comes into your trust, and it stays inside your trust and you don't sell it, you don't disperse it. There's no taxes on those, which is awesome. When you decide to sell it, then you sell it as the, 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 the trust is the uh, owner and the seller of the property. You're the trustee, so you're going to sign all the purchase and sale agreements, you know, um, the the uh, uh, closing docs, the, all that stuff. You as trustee, you sign. So now this money comes in to uh, the bank account, and normally there would be capital gains on right on this, or you right. had to be, you know, screwing around trying to find a, a ten thirty one exchange. Now you buy and sell it as normal. The money is inside the corpus of your trust. 
don't disperse to yourself. Don't disperse it, you know, to to anybody, any beneficiaries of the trust of the trust. You keep it inside the trust. Now that money is available to be used for more investments or anything else you want to put it into. So instead of a 1031 exchange where you are under the gun trying to find a property, and maybe you don't really want to buy a certain property, but you have to because you have to get something under contract. Now you're not forced to, to, to buy something immediately if you don't want to because the whole specter of the capital gains tax is now gone. And Tony, I'm telling you, in a couple of years, as word gets around and as I do my job and spread the word, capital gains are going to be are going to be looked at like rotary phones. I mean, excuse me, uh, 1031 exchanges yeah. are going to be going to be they're going to be compared to rotary phones because no one's going to use them anymore because they don't have to. You just get a trust, this trust, and now you can do that. So, and listen, it's not just for real estate investors. Anything of value that you yeah. sell that's subject to capital gains tax. It's the same rules apply. Precious metals, Forex, crypto, uh, paintings, art, whatever that you have as an asset that when you sell it, stocks, right? Stocks and bonds, whatever you have, as long as it's a trust asset, you sell it, any capital gains tax, you know, deferred. Okay? Yeah, yeah. You, you know, Don, here's here's what, this triggers a thought. Uh-huh. Um, there's, there's a lot of things as we've gone through, you know, the decades of just living, let's let's just focus on the United States, just living in the mm -hmm. United States where things used to be a certain way mm -hmm. a couple hundred years ago. And right. somehow all of those things have evolved away from quote unquote traditional ways right. uh, as far as uh, raising food, raising, you know, your children, so on mm -hmm. and so on, households, everything. Right. Now, this is a very old method to keep wealth. Mm -hmm. How do you think we strayed from such things? Or how did the general public get maneuvered away from this type of uh, The general public process? never knew about it. It was, always, it was always held for the really, really rich. Okay. So this wasn't a widely even known no. uh, uh, capability at no. all. No, you're talking about Rothschilds, Rockefeller level. Okay. They're the ones that knew about it. Nobody else did. Gotcha. Yeah. Gotcha. So it's now just, wow. I mean, it's interesting. It's just now starting to really filter down into the public consciousness. Mm -hmm. I would say in the last couple of years, especially. And I think that's why I think they give it another couple of years or so. And, you know, it's going to be as widely known as a 1031 exchange is now. So what's the difference between this and just someone using a quote unquote regular trust. What's the difference? It doesn't have, you see, the trust, it has to be this trust that is um, in compliance with IRS code 643. So every part of the name of the trust has to be there for it to be able to qualify as a trust that can, can uh, defer taxes uh, with IRS code 643. It has to be non grantor, which means if I'm going to be the trustee, I cannot, I cannot establish a trust myself. Somebody else, a third party, has to create the trust, then name me as the trustee, and then resign. Okay? Irrevocable, like I talked about. The assets have to be sold irrevocably into the trust. Okay? So you can't use it. can't be a, um, you know, uh, a revocable trust. It has to be irrevocable. It has to be um, discretionary, which means that, the you know, as trustee, I get I have 100% um, uh, power and discretion 
to manage the trust on behalf of the trustees. And then finally, the spendthrift trust, this is where you get your asset protection. So it has to have those five pillars, number one. And number two, you have to use the strategy correctly. Otherwise, any tax advantages you would have gotten are now are made null and void. And the biggest mistake that people make is they take distributions. And that's that's right. Those are taxable events. So um, that's why, you know, I've heard people say, well, I, I got a trust. Can I do this? And no, you can. It has to be this trust. It's the only trust that, can, that you can get those kind of tax advantages. Those other ones can get you can get asset protection, but you can't get both. It almost seems like we should live our lives as trustees and put everything that's that's an asset into a trust. Actually, you that's, should. That's I mean, right now, yeah. I don't own anything. Yeah. Everything is in the trust. I control it, but I don't own a dime. If you look at yeah. me, I mean, seriously, I could go down and qualify for welfare, food stamps. Because mm -hmm. I, right. you know, I don't have any, I don't have any, uh, uh, any, any income, and I don't have any assets. You know, I control everything, and that's the key. But yeah, you're it, right. It, go ahead. I was going to say, is it safe to say uh, the LLCs are pretty much dead? No, you can use the, in this trust and this strategy. You do LLCs do play a role, but for the yeah, most part, yeah. you don't need them as traditionally how real estate investors use them. I mean, I know right. I can't tell you how many houses I got that I put into a land trust. Okay, you don't need that anymore. In fact, I, I hear all these horror stories of people that are spending thousands of dollars every year, sometimes months. To pay for all the accounting because they're just setting up LLCs, doing holding holding companies, and all these, you know, this myriad of um, maze of, of all this stuff designed to protect people from asset protection, you know, to, to, for people from lawsuits and so forth, and it's completely unnecessary. You can literally have a thousand single-family homes, multi-families, all in this one trust, one tax return for all of them, and you get the same amount of asset protection which is lawsuit proof. The only way they can crack this or penetrate this trust is if you did any kind of fraudulent conveyance where after right. the announcement of a, of a lawsuit that you tried to put stuff in your trust and it was too late, or if you were committing some kind of fraud or criminal activity. Other than that, it gets in front of a judge. A judge will toss it because of the spendthrift provision. So, um, but to get back to your point when you said that why don't people you know, just start running everything through a trust, they should. And the reason, yeah. the reason why is if you're um, if you're a trustee and you have beneficiaries, so in my trust, my wife, my two uh, adult children, and my grandson are my beneficiaries. So, as you know, for for uh, my grandson, for example, he's a minor child, so the trust can pretty much pay for almost everything for him, and those are trust expenses that and they're being paid for by pre-tax dollars, right? Or I would say permanently deferred tax dollars. So daycare. Food, clothing, uh, tutors, private school, books, all that stuff the trust pays for as a trust expense. Okay, for the, for the adult beneficiaries, it's very similar. It can pay for pretty much almost everything except for the three F's that we call it. It's called food, fashion, and fun. Okay, but for most everything, I would say probably 90%, maybe close to 90% of what, what uh, goes on in life can be considered a trust expense. So now you're not having to, to – uh, you don't need as much cash as you, as you might think because you run uh, almost, yeah. as, almost everything. As much as you can legitimately claim, you know, prove to be a trust expense, the trust will pay for it. 
which is awesome. Yeah. Right. I mean, isn't amazing? Great. I mean, think yeah. about that. Let's say yeah. you put you, you let's say you sell your primary residence into the trust. Well, now if the water heater breaks, the trust pays for it. Uh, mm -hmm. The mortgage payment, the trust pays for it. Insurance, the trust pays for it. You want to put a pool in, trust pays for it. Right. Lawn maintenance, trust pays for it. You want to you want to uh, seal the the deck out back. Trust pays for it. Those are all trust expenses that you're not having to come out of pocket yourself with post-tax dollars because it's a trust asset. The trust pays for it. Same thing for vehicles. Yeah. If it's a trust asset, the trust pays for all the expenses. How long does it take to set up one of these trusts? Oh, my gosh. it It's a nightmare. It takes you maybe a week and a half. Oh, wow, really? <laughs> yes. Okay. It's very simple. It's not something you can just wake up and decide to do and do it your own, on your own. Yeah. No, you need, to, you need to go through someone like us. You know, like I, I, can, yeah. I can definitely, I can be your huckleberry and hook you up on this. Um, it's, uh, right, right. But um, now I, I talked to you about the, the, um, the buy and hold side of it, right? Do you want to hear about the, yeah. the wholesaler side of it? Okay. Yeah, let's do it. All right. So if you're wholesaling or you're, you're doing fix and flips, quick flips, that's generally what we call uh, ordinary income. So this is where you do use a, an LLC in this strategy, okay? Because our challenge with this strategy is that the, in order for, the, for the, uh, any money that comes into the trust to be tax, permanently tax deferred, it has to be passive income. So when, when you're a buy and hold investor and you have investment properties in your trust, then that, those rents are passive income. So you can already defer those forever. That's not an issue. But if you have ordinary income coming in, you can't defer that. It has to be converted into passive income. And this is how you do it. So you follow the same procedure. You are selling your business and your personal assets into the trust irrevocably, just like I described before. The difference is that you're going to do, you're going to have another sale of intangible assets. Because let's face it, right? I mean, as a short sale investor, I had very few tangible business assets that I could sell into my trust. So where is the secret to me making money for 20 years in short sales? It's up here. It's in my head. So I do a bill of sale for those intangible assets, my know-how, my secrets, my systems, my, note, my, my uh, uh, database, my network, whatever you want to call it. That's all put in a bill of sale. I sell that to the trust. So now, you know, the, the company I used to have, it's an S corporation. Now, since it's denuded of all assets and I'm not using it anymore, I can just let it go, right? I can just dissolve it. And so, but, but the trust can't run the business. It has to have another entity that runs the business. Okay. So in this case, yeah. I set up an LLC and the first thing I do is I make the trust a 90% limited member in the trust. I mean, sorry, sorry, in the LLC, apologies. Okay. And so then I'm going to run my short sale business through the, through the LLC. But even though I'm a 10% managing member, I physically cannot generate revenue for the LLC because I don't have any assets anymore. I took them out of my brain and I sold them to the trust, right? Now the trust has them. So the only way the LLC can have assets to, with which it can generate revenue is to have the trust lease those assets to the LLC. Okay. Mm -hmm. So now that this is all set up, 
my LLC can now work like I did before with my S Corp. You know, try to find people in foreclosure, see if they're upside down, offer to do a short sale, negotiate with the bank, create the spread, create your profit, monetize it, exit strategy, money comes in, boom. That's that, that, that still works. Okay. It's going into my LLC now. So I work as normal. I take my deductions, expense as much as I can out. But at some point in the day, the LLC is going to be left with a net pre-tax net income. And that's generally where you, you uh, calculate what your taxes are going to be, right? So let's, let's look at this from, let's say I had a, say I had a great year. My net is a million dollars. I'm going to use a million dollars because it's, it's, a, it's a nice round number. And I'm not, I was a humanities major in college. I was not a finance or a mathematical right. major. So I'm going to use very easy, easy terms here. Okay. So if, if a million dollars was my net income, pre-tax net income for the year, and this is all ordinary income, this tax at 32%, that's a $320,000 tax bill that would have to be paid. Yeah. Okay. So sometimes this gets a little confusing for people. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make it as simple as possible. All we're doing here is we are creating two more expenses for the LLC. Okay. The first one is the lease. Remember, we, the trust leased that, the assets to the LLC. So that has to be paid for. So the yeah. LLC has to pay the lease. And those lease payments are expenses for the LLC. So whatever goes out of the LLC to pay for the lease, that's going to bring down the next, the, the pre-tax and income, correct? Mm -hmm. So uh, the IRS will allow up to 70% of your pre-tax net income to be used as a lease payment. So if our pre-tax net income is is a hundred is a million dollars, 70% of that is $700,000. So that's going to go over to the uh, um, trust as a lease payment. So now the LLC's pre-tax and income after we withdraw that expense is now down to $300,000. Okay. So we've already converted $700,000 of active ordinary income into passive income through the lease payment to the trust. Okay. So now we have $300,000 left, but remember one more expense is left. The uh, trust is a 90% limited member of the LLC. So it needs to be paid for its equity position, right? So right. three hundred thousand dollars, nine hundred nine ninety percent of that's going to go over the trust as a K one distribution. So two hundred seventy thousand dollars goes over to the trust. Now the LLC has a new pre tax net income after those two expenses were deducted of mm -hmm. thirty thousand dollars. That's what you're going to uh, uh, base your uh, taxes for your LLC on. Yeah. Meanwhile, seven hundred thousand went to the trust as a as a, um, as a uh, lease payment. That's passive income for the trust. Two hundred seventy thousand dollars went over as a K one distribution, also passive income for the trust. Now, that's all passive income. They converted, and according to IRS Code six forty three, as the trustee with one hundred percent discretionary powers, I can classify that nine hundred seventy thousand dollars as an extraordinary dividend for the trust. In accordance with IRS code 643, no, no taxes deferred permanently. There you go. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> the power is uh, out of control with this, this method, yes. man. Yes. This is, this is crazy. Right. So do you now see why it would be ludicrous 
for anyone to not use this, not use this strategy. And it's, exactly. it, listen, it is legal. I'm telling you guys, I, you know, I work with a firm that has a license from a, from, from the law firm that has had this, it's called the master trust. It's been around for, um, 50 years, approximately 50 years. And they are the only entity that listen, there's other trusts out there. It's not just this one trust, the same pillars, but this, the master trust is the only one that was vetted by the IRS. They went through and the IRS went through this with a, with a fine tooth comb and they issue what they call a trust private ruling letter. Okay. Mm -hmm. And what they did was they went through and examined everything and they gave their conclusions. And they, they, it wasn't just about the tax strategy. It was about everything that had to do with the possible transaction with this trust. But the section that had to do with 643, they go in there and say, legal, legal, legal. This is, this is in accordance. It's legal. Okay. So that's the thing. I mean, because I get people saying, well, I don't, I don't want the IRS coming in the middle of the night and dragging me out of bed because I didn't think this is some scam. It's like, no, I can provide anybody who's interested with a copy of that ruling. Take it to your CPA. They'll let you, they'll, they'll, they'll confirm that this is absolutely 100% above board. And you don't have to worry about, you know, um, getting in trouble with the IRS because they know it. The trust has its own EIN number. The trust uh, files a 1041 every year. So, I mean, this has been around for decades, decades, guys, and it's legal. So why not use so it? it? You just didn't know about it. Yeah, yeah, really, really. So is it safe to say that this was – because, see, you may actually know this because this is, this is hitting me with a, with a thought here. Uh -huh. um, is it safe to say that something like this, that, that this trust was created at the founding of this country to actually help keep wealth when they were fleeing, you know, British rule? Is that what actually, I'm seeing here or it was well, after that? Look, it's just like anything else. If you look at the origins of a lot of things, when they first yeah. happened, they're not anything close to what they are now, but the origins are there. Right, the roots are there. The root yeah. origin of this trust actually started in during Henry VIII's reign in uh, England, because you know, for most people, don't they think they think about Henry VIII and his wives and all that kind of stuff? But actually, you know, when he broke away from the Catholic Church and formed the Church of England, you know, it wasn't for religious reasons per se. It was it was it gave him the pretext for one of the biggest land grabs in the history of England. Because you know they, he started uh, confiscating uh, land from Catholic landowners and aristocracy, oh, and he was yeah. using, you know, maritime royal law to be able to justify that. And you know, they the the, the people that were being, have, be, whose land and assets were being confiscated did not have any recourse. They were playing it. It was it was a, a rigged system. They couldn't defend themselves in royal or court or maritime law. So what they did eventually was they set up a similar spendthrift type trust that was based on English common law, not maritime law, which is what the court was using. And it what didn't happen overnight. It took a lot of trial and error, but eventually they 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 formed a trust that had the equivalent of a spendthrift provision that we talk about now. And then over yeah. the centuries, it was modified and changed, and so on and so forth. So you know the trust that we sell is not anywhere close to what it was like in Henry VIII's day. But, you know, the, the, the principle was there, okay? Based on, ours is based on contract law. Theirs is based on, you know, English common law. It came over with the colonists. It was here when the, when the, when the country was formed. And it's been in constant development 
since the, since 1776, right? And so, and and the, and the trust that we sell, like I said, this particular version has been around for 50 years. Yeah, this this is absolutely fascinating. <laughs> My mind is really really kind of blown right now. This right. is fascinating. I love it. I love it. All right, all right, Don, you you <laughs> you're winning the day for me, man. Do you see? Wow. Do you see now why uh, you know when I say that? I mean, with wow. all due respect to people, you're an idiot if you don't get one of these, and you're doing real estate yeah. investing, you're successful at it. Why yeah. would you it, not? It really seems that way. Yeah. yeah. Why would you not? It, it's 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 set up to 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 help you build wealth and keep it, mm -hmm. and especially if it has been vetted and proven to be a totally legal, yes, and viable way. Yes. It it doesn't make sense not to do it. So right. yeah, I think you're right. Yeah, absolutely. Wow. All right, so you've been in uh, in the real estate investing world for quite a while. Mm -hmm. um, what's what's the one word or phrase that you would use to sum up the reason why you got into this industry? Freedom. I have an interesting backstory. Uh, you know, I spent most of the 1990s in Russia. I actually went to the, to the Soviet Union back in 87 when I, uh, I was a Russian major in college. I had every intention of going into the State Department and become a Slavic language Russian you know, uh, expert. Uh, I loved languages, I, you know, but I went to Russia, before, I should say the Soviet Union, in, and uh, worked for the, at the embassy. To, I wanted to be in country to learn the language and so forth. And then by the time my contract was over, everything changed. The wall fell. You know, in Berlin and the Soviet Union fell. And so my career path did a 180 because I got the taste of money. And because, uh, <laughs> I mean, back in the day, if you were an American and you spoke fluent Russian, they were just throwing money at you, just throwing money. At wow. You. And I, I I, started a business in Russia. I had like, like two or three different businesses that I did. And I just got hooked on it. I knew and I got married and I just said, you know, I, I want to do this. The very last project I was doing for an American company, I put together a consortium of an American, Canadian, Russian, and British companies, and four companies. And it was designed to inspect, clean, and rehabilitate sewer and water pipes in Russia. And we did a, we did a, a pilot project in a, in a, um, in a um, uh, small, I guess a suburb of Moscow called uh, Podolsk. And... We did a five, we did like a half a kilometer, 500 yards basically of water pipe as a test case. It went really well, and the and the water authorities of St. Petersburg, formerly known as Leningrad, came and said, "Okay, we want to we want to do we give you an order of like some like 44 kilometers of water pipe rehabilitation." Mm -hmm. I put this whole thing together. I was going to get a million dollars bonus plus major major bank every year. Mm -hmm. My American company pulled the plug without warning. Great timing. Great yes. timing, huh? They said, we're not really sure we want to do this. What if the equipment breaks down? We don't want the responsibility. Yeah. We'll just focus on America. After I spent a year putting this stuff together, they fired me. Okay? Mm. So I had to leave my wife, my, my newborn child, my daughter, you know, in all of our, you know, in, in Moscow. And I had to go tail between my legs, go go back to America and try to find something to make money so I could bring them over or that's like I had the money to go back over to see them or whatever. And um, I vowed at that point in time that I would never 
ever work for anybody again. Mm-hmm. And I analyzed what what should be, and I was in Florida, and I was in Orlando, and I thought to myself, you know, I could either do Mickey Mouse or I could do real estate in Florida. Yeah. And, and I just said, you know what, I'm going to do real estate. And it took me two years, but I eventually got it going. I got the short sales going. I learned how to do it. I, I got really good at it. And it changed my life because then I have the freedom. I'm my own boss. I can travel when I want. I can take time off when I want. I can outsource things if I want. And that's what it's meant to me has been free, real freedom. Yeah. Yeah, you may have actually just uh, answered my next question. Uh, what's your favorite part of being a real estate investor? Well, I'll be honest with you. Before, it was, it was screwing the banks. I loved mm-hmm. it. There was nothing I liked better than than to uh, you know have, find a homeowner in foreclosure and you know, who's upside down the mortgage and get the bank to take less than what they probably co- could have taken. You know, and it was more. Yeah. It was. I'm just. I'm. A, I'm. Listen. I was a um, you know a very good baseball player. I had a full ride scholarship at, at a high school. I'm very competitive. I channeled all my competitiveness into tennis, like I told you about with with the um, uh, tournaments and everything. It's everything's a competition, and for me, a short sale is a competition between me and the bank about who wins the negotiation. And man, that was just like that was just like a high when you when you get one, get one approved, and it's like yes, I got it, you know. And of course, it was great for the homeowner. I feel good about helping them, you know, mitigate the loss, the damage to their credit, and so forth. But that was really it for me. It started losing its its uh, luster about four or five years ago, I kind of like, yeah, it's kind of old hat. You do something long enough, 20 years, you, you, you kind of go through the motions. And so yeah. if I, now that everything's happened, COVID and the foreclosure moratorium, which forced me to pivot and start doing something like this, I find that I get the same kind of, of uh, satisfaction when I can help people, you know, save money on their taxes. I mean, I can't tell you how good it felt for me last last August when I had a business owner he's uh, from Alabama, and he was going to sell his business for seven point five million dollars. He saw one of my videos on TikTok, and he reached out to me and said, "My accountant's telling me I'm going to pay one point seven million dollars in capital gains tax from the sale of my right. business. You know, can I uh, can I help? You know, can you help me?" And I said, "Absolutely." So we set up a trust for him. And, you know, he sold his assets, business assets to him personally and then to the trust like we talked about. And then he sold the assets of his business to the end buyer. $1.7 million now that he can invest as, you know, you know that he has inside his trust that he controls that would have been gone. You know, think about that windfall. And just right. because he lacked the knowledge and he was fortunate to, to find to find me. I have the knowledge and we, you know, the company I work with, we, we do this stuff and you know, it's, it can be a life changing for people. Life changing. Yeah. yeah. I, I, I love this industry because it helps people in yeah. so many ways. And mm-hmm. a lot of people don't even realize it. They just think, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a tax affirming and money grab type of industry. And right. it's really not like that. No, no, it's not. Wow. Yeah, I mean, wealth has always been has always been situated in or centered in land, in, in property, real estate. Yeah. Always will be, and you know, like I said, the big one of the one of the biggest profit leaks in our profit bucket as investors has always been taxes. Yeah, yeah. And so, as we know, yeah. Oh, go no, ahead, please. go ahead, no, please. Okay, I was gonna say, uh, as we know, uh, life's not perfect all the time. 
And uh, I, I'm sure you've had some ups and downs. You just told me a little bit of just a few moments ago. Yes. But um, throughout your real estate investing journey, what would you say was that time when you felt most unsuccessful? Oh, by far 2006. I did not have one closing in 2006. Not one. Mm. Actually, it was 18 months. I didn't have a closing all of 2006 and up to in the in May 28th of 2007. Okay, because Florida got hit with the with the um, the mortgage crisis uh, early. Okay, and prices were dropping so quickly that we get a short sale approved, but the values already dropped, so it wasn't upside down. It was upside down again, and it was just like, oh my gosh, it was just. I never went. I never had gone through that, and it was just. It was. I could barely keep stay afloat. And I totally looked into a commercial deal where um, I called this lady. I thought it was her house in foreclosure. It turned out her business was in foreclosure. She had a boat building business that that she couldn't, you know, she was in foreclosure with her mortgage. And she said, "Well, it's not my house. It's a business. Do you do you uh, do um, do you do you invest in businesses?" And one thing I've learned as an investor over the years is you always say yes. I didn't know how to do a commercial, commercial deal in my life. Said, of course I do. Yes, I'm, a, I'm an expert or whatever. So she said, oh, my gosh, that's right. great. Thank you very much. Tied it up. And then I just started network. I went to my network and said, Does anybody, do you know anybody that, that would be interested in this type of thing to partner in? I found a, an investor who does you know invest in commercial stuff. And um, long story short, we signed an agreement where I would get $150,000 from the sale of the property. And he gave me like 75000 up front. But true to most investors in Florida, he screwed me on everything else. But I did get my seventy-five up front, and that kept me that kept me going until until I figured out how to how to make money again on short sales. And then I was, I mean, and then after that, I was like with a rocket because then you know, two thousand eight came and short sales were like everybody, you know, was you could just you couldn't swing a dead cat without hitting a, vac a vacant house in in in, in Florida. Yeah. And so I would just it was like, like throw your net out and just rake money. I was making millions of dollars on that. But if I hadn't survived that 18 months with no closings, I wouldn't have reaped the rewards. But yeah, that was that was the that was the low part of my of my career. It's not all it's wow. not all it's not all fun and games, you know. No. No. Were were you thinking about totally leaving the industry? No. Or or did your competitive side kick in and say, I know I can beat this? I knew it was a cycle. I knew I just had to outlast it. That's all. Mm -hmm. Survive until until the market turns. And I've been kind of doing that right now too, because you know um, it's just kind of the same dynamics ever since the foreclosure moratorium. I mean, I had about yeah. a year of closings that I had built up in pipeline, so I didn't really start feeling it until early this year. And so this has been 2006 for me. But the difference is okay. is that because. I was relatively new then. I mean, I had incorporated my my, my HP funding in, in 2003, uh, so I had you know three years. I was still relatively new in a sense. I didn't have as much experience. Now I have so much knowledge that I've gained over 20 years that I could pivot to this, and it's been it's been a great thing because this is really taking off. And you know, I it may be it may be the short sales will be the side hustle. You know, now when, yeah. when they start coming back, I don't know yet, but I do know that that you can always find creative solutions if you're open and you're and you pivot and you take action quickly and, and, and powerfully and don't quit. Everything revolves around not quitting. If you quit, you're yeah. out of the game. 
That's true. That's true. I've learned that throughout my years of growing up. And, mm -hmm. you know, when you see successful people you admire and you ask them, you know, what's the secret? What do you do and how do you do this and that? The majority of the answer was don't stop. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it's that simple. Right. So, yeah, you're on it, man. Yeah. Uh, what's the one positive goal you're focused on today in your business? Right now, my business goal is by the end of 2023, I want to permanently relocate to Europe. Uh, my family's over in Russia. We're kind of marooned. And I'm not going back when a war's on or when Putin's in, in, in power with, with all the anti-Americanism going on there and everything. So, But I want to be closer to them so that I can get them out to Europe and we can meet and, and possibly relocate there. And, you know, that means you know I want to be able to have everything set up to where – if I can be anywhere in Europe, I can be I have a, an internet connection, a phone, a laptop, yeah. and I can run this business. And that's that's what I'm that's what I'm working towards. That's awesome. Mm -hmm. Currently, what's your favorite uh, piece of technology you tend to use in your business? My iPhone. <laughs> yeah, I run everything. Are you using any specific apps that you tend to use consistently? I'm old school. I mean, for me, it's just, I'm still a text message guy. You know. Okay. I mean, I mean, yeah, I use Messenger and different things, but it all goes down. The, the basic thing has always been on the phone or text message. I mean, I use Zoom, of course. I use StreamYard. I use those types of things. But ultimately, um, not, maybe seventy-five percent of what I do, it's all has to do with phone calls and texts. Uh, do you currently have a, a property portfolio right now? No, I don't. I don't hold anything. I I um, I will not hold anything right now. It it it's, it reminds me too much of two thousand six. I think yeah. there's a market correction coming, and we're already seeing you know, here in, in Orlando, we've seen prices drop in Florida. Yeah, I mean, there's a mark. We're due for a market correction. There was already a market correction happening before COVID hit. I mean, the last month of uh, that we had before the foreclosure moratorium was declared was February of 2020. I got 26 short sales in Florida in February of 2020. Mm. The market was already correcting then, but then the moratorium happened. All of those distressed properties were not being were not being put on the market. Landlords couldn't evict. You know, uh, foreclosures couldn't be filed, and of course, that was a big uh, contributor to this incredibly artificial bubble that happened. So yeah. all that did was just kick the kick the, the uh, market correction down the can, you know, kick the can down the road. And it's, it's, I think it's coming. So I would not buy anything right now. I would stay liquid, which is I, I am. I'm liquid. And I would wait until, you know, the correction bottoms out. And then I would buy like crazy. But right now, I wouldn't buy it. Not a thing. Sounds like some smart moves to me. I've uh, recently read a few articles, and they're saying that, yeah, the, uh, the the impending uh, recession is just around the corner, probably at the uh, first of the year. Well, I don't know. Yeah. I mean, it's it's interesting because you look at the 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 latest economic reports just came out, and they're still pretty positive. So you know, everybody's predicting this, but so far it hasn't hit yet. But right. real estate prices are dropping, mm -hmm. and you know, listen, I, you know. Um, I know that you and I uh, are not spring chickens here, so I'm sure you probably remember what it was like in the 80s when you had 17%, 18% interest rates and, mm -hmm. and inflation was out of control. We think inflation is bad now. You know, wait till it's in the you know, teens, you know, yeah. that, uh, 15, 16% or whatever. That's, that's when, you know, you're in a nutcracker. 
And I, I just got my feet with, with real estate investing back then. And, you know, people say, oh, it's going to be fine. There's no toxic mortgages this time. It's like, well, it doesn't have to be toxic mortgages. I mean, it can just be unemployment. It can be, you know, yeah. um, our, our economy is based on consumer spending. Inflation right. eats away at people's disposable income. And when people start to, people stop spending, businesses start to lay people off. Unemployment grows. That's coming. It's just a matter of time when. Maybe it's next mm -hmm. quarter. Maybe it's maybe it's this time next year. Maybe it's in two years. Who knows? It's coming. Yeah. And those people that have been doing real estate investing and they only know what they only know how to make money in a in a in a uh, appreciating market or a stable market, they're yeah. all going to die out. And I saw that happen in two thousand eight, nine, and ten. And so many people just they they couldn't do it. It's ha it's going to happen again. So wholesalers, fix and flippers. It's coming. You better learn how to do. You better learn how to make money in a bear market because it's coming. Yeah, yeah. They say that's when you see who's been swimming naked all this time. <laughs> mm -hmm. That's right. I know yeah. I can jump right back into short sales and do just fine. Right, right. I'll, I'll thrive in a in a bear market. I yeah. have done it before. I'll do it again. So, Don, if people want to connect with you and make some uh, really powerful things happen, how do they do that? You know, I'm a very open person. I'm also basic. Yes, I have websites and things like that, but I'm going to give you my personal cell phone. Okay. Uh, text me, and I can answer all your questions. We can make an appointment. We can we can talk about uh, what your situation is and how we can set you up with a trust and, and why it makes sense and how much you can save. My number is 407-902-7827. Again, that's 407-902-7827. All right, Don, since entering into the real estate investing world, mm -hmm. what would you say you're most grateful for? I'm going to go back to the freedom. It was a life changer for me. I mean, I, 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 had, I was starting to doubt that I would ever be anything but a corporate flunky in my life, which is slavery. I consider anybody with a yeah. W2 job as a slave. No matter how much you make, it's still slavery because they tell you when you can take a vacation and when you can't. It's they control you, right? You're in a golden cage, a gilded cage, but you're still in a cage. And I just, I just, I'm a fierce lover of freedom, and I want to help people be able to have the freedom that we all deserve to have. Because I, like I said, I mean, I compare working for corporations as slavery. Yeah, golden handcuffs, as they say. Mm -hmm. Yep. Yeah. All right, before I hit you with the last question, Don, just want to tell you, thank you very much for being here. You blew my mind today, so I really appreciate it. Well, thank you. I'm glad to be here. All right. So finally, Don, what's your definition of real estate investing success? Profit. Honestly, no matter what you do, it all comes down to profit, and people get caught up in um, you know what their net too much on their gross not their net and that's why this trust is so important because so much you know what you keep from the transaction after everything including taxes that's all that matters that's all that matters so real estate investing is a is a strategy a mechanism to be able to generate profit and it also gives you the tools to be able to maximize your profit if you use those tools. That's a wrap. 
That is a wrap. Man, you brought it. You brought it, man. <laughs> man. <laughs> you know you blew my mind. <laughs> hey, that's what I'm here for. Wow. Incredible, man. I, I really, really enjoyed every minute of that. I really enjoyed it. Um, and you know, at, at the same time, it's like once you start getting around this age, you really start thinking about things differently. Mm-hmm. You start thinking about the time that's disappearing. Yep. So how can I create wealth and build the wealth I have in my daughter? She's 25. So mm-hmm. I got to set her up, you know, I got to set her up with something as a trustee or something. And with this knowledge, the knowledge is what is well, missing. And that's the reason I built this. You get, you get her and you get a trust, you put her in as a beneficiary and you make her a, a successor trustee. So that way, when, whenever we all eventually go the way of the world and we die, then she takes over and all your, all the assets and everything you've got going now continues. And I already have things set up for my grandson. So I, oh, want, yeah. I want this to be, you know, multi-generational and that's the real right. purpose of this. And because the biggest thing is, is that I know now that my income streams and whatever assets we have, they are never going to be taxed and then no one my my daughter my grandson they're never going to have to lose them because of probate or inheritance tax because yeah. it's all in the trust and they right. everybody has access to it man that's it man don you're winning you're the winner <laughs> <laughs> you're the winner man <laughs> this is great i love this hey okay, um cool. just to let you know is that i if you're ever interested in, in getting a trust for yourself, I'm your yeah. Huckleberry. If you decide to use your influence and, peop, and people come to you and say, you know, or you see that, that, the, that, that this would be useful for them, you know, I pay $3,000 uh, referral to anybody that sends me somebody when they, they buy okay. a trust. Yeah, uh, I have a new uh, lead system that just got set up too. So I'm going to coordinate with you and mm-hmm. get your lead page put on our site, and yep. we're going to make some stuff happen, man. Absolutely. I'm looking forward to it because this awesome. many people need this. So. Oh, yeah, totally. Especially this industry yes. that people are burning their money and throwing out the window. It's crazy. Yeah, exactly. So the other thing, did I send you, I don't know if I did, did I ever send you an invite to be a guest on This Month in Real Estate Investing with uh, no. James Brown? Okay, I'll send you that email after that okay. and put you on the chart and all of that. So, yeah, great. This okay, was awesome, man. Don. Thanks, Appreciate man. Appreciate it. All right. All see right. You. Have a great day. All right. Bye.